Hello, and welcome back to Go Native, the business of native plants. My name is Mitzi Sosa, and I am your host. We're back with another episode. This time, we are talking to Brightman Logan. The executive director of the Native Plant Horticulture Foundation, Cami Donaldson, sat in with me in this interview to learn more from a true pioneer of the native plant industry in Florida. Brightman started his nursery in 1981 in response to the 1979 federal and state mandates requiring no net loss of wetland. Brightman Logan has always been my go-to person with questions about how the industry works and what is possible. Early on, he showed everyone, all our growers, that we could produce native plants to a high-quality standard in sizes that the landscape market needed. Brightman has always been a champion for working together, not apart, and that is really important for our native plant movement. Today he is here to share what he has learned over the years. Welcome, Brightman. Oh gosh, come a long way. I vote. It's wonderful to have you with us today. Why don't you start telling us what sparked your interest in native plants? Well, I've always been interested in biology. And um, after I got my degree from Mercer University in uh, 79, um, I started working for an environmental firm in Tampa. And this was just after they had passed the Clean Water Act, which required mitigation and restoration work to be done. So we had projects coming up and we couldn't find anybody that grew these plants. And uh, that's when it kind of just light bulb went off in my head and said, well, that sounds like a great profession to get into. And uh, I wasn't really a horticulturalist as much as a biologist. So we had to kind of take a lot of learning steps to figure out how to grow these plants because there wasn't a lot of information out there like we have today on how to propagate and grow a lot of these native plants. And there were very few growers back then when we started. Um, we actually started in 1980, but didn't incorporate until 1981. And um, just had a ton of projects uh, that we got through the environmental consulting firms that we started working on. So it was, um, you know, it, it was different starting back then because we didn't have a lot of people growing the plants and we had to figure out how to grow them too. So um, it was a big learning curve for everybody, I think, back then. It also sounds like restoration was the main goal. So not necessarily landscapes. You know, our main goal back then was for restoration work. That's what we were doing mainly. And later we got into landscape, um, doing landscapes and things like that as well. But I think everybody that initially got into it was tied into it for restoration aspects. And it was interesting, the county agent here in my county, the um, extension agent, uh, heard what I was doing and he came out and he said, what in the world are you doing? Who's, who's going to buy that stuff? And I said, well, you know, not a lot of people, but we got orders for 70,000 of this and 50,000 of that. And he just couldn't believe it. So it was, you know, started right at the beginning when uh, all this stuff was cranking up and we had huge numbers of plants that we needed for these projects. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it originally. And we had um, some property where we had some peat bogs and stuff where we could get a lot of the aquatic plants. So we started doing that initially. And then uh, just realizing that there was such a need for the shrubs and the trees and other things too, we took all our profits from that and started building the nursery up. At that point, how big was your nursery? 
and we started with maybe a half acre nursery. And by the time we finished, we were close to 100 acres that, that we had under production. Wow. Uh, I just think that the native plant movement's come such a long way from when we started. Uh, you know, think back how long ago it was now, you know, it was 40 years ago. <laughs> uh, and you didn't see any native plants out, maybe uh, pine trees and oaks. And that was it, you know, as far as and myrtles, wax myrtles. So there were probably three species of plants that they were using in landscapes back then, where now we've got, you know, I see tons of landscapes now that have a half, at least 50% natives. So I think the, the whole industry has done a great job in advancing forward, but we still have a long way to go. There's definitely still a lot of work left to be done. So Brightman, what would be your advice for people that want to jump in and continue this work of growing natives? What would you like them to know before they get started? Well, I, I wrote down a few things. And I guess the first thing is to know the cost of your product that you're growing. Uh, I think a lot of growers make a mistake and just they see somebody else's price in a brochure and they put that down. And that's kind of what we all did initially. But some plants take longer to grow and are harder to grow. And, um, you know, we, we actually went in and figured out down to, you know, we'd look at the, the, the cost of the pot. The soil in that pot, we break it down. The fertilizer, uh, how much labor did it take to pot that and put it out on a mat? Uh, the mats that you lay down to put the plants on, we had it down to the square foot, how much it cost us for those mats to put down. Uh, watering time, how much watering time and how much did that cost you? And what was the pH of your water? Because a lot of times the pH affects the, um, the pH in your, in your plants. And you have so much variation in pH in Florida plants that you want to make sure you get that right because the pH affects the nutrients and the water absorption by the roots of the plant. So when you maximize that for each plant, you'll get better growth and healthier plants that way. Um, insurance. You know, all these other things overhead that people just don't figure into their business when they're producing something. Um, you know, your phone, your electric, how much does it cost you to weed the plants? So we tried to go back and look exactly how much all these cost. And it's hard in the industry because a lot of people would come in lower than you were. But, you know, if you're going to run a business, you got to make a profit. And uh, I think a lot of these, a lot of people early on, and, and even us to some extent, um, it was, it was a business, but it was something that we had to do. It was, you know, it was just like a, we were all called to do this, you know, and advance the native plant use and actually protect our state. You know, I've got lands, the landscape in my yard now. I never fertilize it. I never water. And it's thriving. It looks great. Um, so that's kind of what the goal was. But um, don't get in, into a bidding war with other nurseries. There's always somebody that's going to come along and, and undercut you. But if you're growing quality material, that's always gonna kind of rise to the top and people will be willing to pay it if they want it. What would you recommend for people to start doing now so they can continue to grow quality product in the future? Know your product, know your plant that you're growing. Uh, read up on everything you can get. There's so much more information out now uh, than what we had when we first started. But I think the most important thing is to go out in the woods into the habitats where these plants grow and look at the soil and take some measurements of the pH in that soil and see what they like and why they're thriving in those areas. Uh, you look at a lot of um, 
like uh, scrub plants. They don't like any mulch at all on them. And a lot of people, you see them put them in landscapes and they'll mulch them and they'll kill the plants because those plants thrive on open areas. But these are the things you can see as you go out in the field and notice these plants that you're growing. Wow, look at that one. You know, it's really growing nice. And why is that? You know, look, look at the surroundings, look at the habitat it's growing in. And uh, you try to mimic that. We even had different soil mixes for different types of plants. Uh, so for our scrub plants, we would have a real sandy soil with bark in it, so it would drain real well. But we would have to put all those on one mat because they had different watering regimes too. And uh, that was an important thing to figure out. Our wetland plants, we typically had more peat in there. Um, so we had different soil mixes and different pH for, we had like five different mixes that we would use for plants. You, you can't do it for each one, but you can get close enough to where it helps maximize the growth potential of those plants. Well, that brings me up to my next question. Oftentimes in a nursery, there is a lot of different plants being taken care of at one time, growing in the space. So there can be quite a lot of maintenance or uh, cycles to make sure that you are keeping track of. Do you have any tips on how to make sure that you're taking care of all of your plants that have different needs correctly? Yeah, and again, it's like I was saying, you have to put these plants that like these different types of conditions on separate mats because you water them differently. So we would take all our you know, music plants, all our wetland plants were on one mat, our scrub were on another. Uh, wildflowers went on different mats because you don't need to water them as much they're in smaller containers. So it's just thinking through and, uh, and looking at it, you know, just you got to really think it through and you're going to make mistakes. That's the other thing. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, but you can learn from the growers who've made the mistakes. And uh, what you'll find is, is all the growers are pretty much open uh, on, on their techniques. Now, some of them, they have proprietary things that they do. Uh, like the tissue culture guys, they're not going to tell you what they use to, to, to do things. And some of us growers have like a, a certain product that we maybe mix in there that we won't tell everybody. We'll tell them everything else. But you got to have some proprietary things, um, you know, too, to, to, to help you keep above the rest. You know? It's a business. It's not a hobby. Uh, and it's, it was very rewarding. You know, the, the, we didn't all ever make a ton of money. But it was rewarding to be out there and, and doing what we were doing. We thought like we were pioneers, getting all this stuff started. And, and I guess we kind of were, you know, seeing where it's going nowadays. For someone that is just getting started, what would you recommend they do to promote their nursery? You know, I talked about uh, promoting the product and educating the public. The trade shows are very important. And then we even did our own workshops uh, out at the nursery. And we would bring all the plants together. And get, you know, we would mainly target um, landscape architects, landscape designers, um, city, county, and state parks people because they do a lot of work with natives. And uh, we would have, a, you know, 100 and something people come to these and we'd be able to show them the plant, talk about it, they could ask us questions. We've done the same thing through FAN too. And, and that's how you learn. And, and also, you know, just talking with your fellow growers. Like I said, they're not going to tell you everything, but you can learn a lot. I know uh, we were having a hard time growing a lot of stuff from seed, and I went and talked to Nancy Bissett about it. And she was telling us the secret that they, they used on it was the type of peat they used. And uh, that was huge for us. You know, it opened up a whole, whole other door. 
but uh, you know, we're all kind of in the battle together. So we always like to share ideas. So that's an important part too, is, is, is network. The networking between growers is very, very important. Yes, and a trade show is an exhibition at which businesses in a particular industry promote their products and services. Here in Florida, there is a couple of them. So we recommend that wherever you are listening to, keep an eye out for nearby trade shows so you can go and promote your nursery. And Brightman, I want to switch gears here a little bit just to talk about some of the mistakes that you've seen people make in the past that you think might be holding them back when they first begin their nursery? Yeah, I think uh, now that it's changed and you have so many more growers out there, I think growers need to specialize more into certain things. Uh, We've seen some growers do mainly scrubs, some do beech, uh, some just do shrubs, some do trees. And I think to be able to meet the demand, we're all going to have to kind of take our little niche and figure that out. And, and go with that. Now, how many plants that is, I don't know. I mean, when we started out, we were growing almost 160 species of plants. And I, I know, and, and again, I wasn't a horticulturalist, but these guys from other nurseries would come out and they go, how are you growing all that? How do you keep up with that? <laughs> we grow 30 and we can't keep up with it. But at that time, it was the, the, the demand and the necessity to, to have those plants available. But I think now with, with so many good growers out there, if people could learn to specialize, then we could grow more numbers and you can concentrate on the quality of the plant you're doing at that point too. You're not trying to run and put fires out here and there trying to keep up with everything. You've got a better handle on it and you're growing plants uh, that, that maybe work better for you. And one thing I've always found, you can hear techniques or things from other people, but each grower has their own way of doing things. And you could try what somebody told you and it wouldn't work, but if you tweak it a little bit for yourself, then it would work. So um, take that information and glean it and then utilize it the way you, you know, it works for you too. And what do you think are some resources that we still need to develop to help people in this industry? Um, I think uh, a lot of it's still being worked on, but seed germination is one thing. Uh, we've had a lot of t- hard times trying to get certain seeds to germinate. Uh, maybe they need a little longer stratification, uh, cold. Uh, maybe they need to be scarified when they're not. You know, um, you know think about like palmetto seeds and, and things like that when an animal eats them and it takes the, uh, the uh, endocarp off of it, which is an inhibitor, goes through their system. The acids and everything are like a scarifier. And then once it comes out, that's, that seed's ready to go. So you have to kind of think about nature and how things work in nature. I mean, we had trays sometimes we would try growing stuff and it wouldn't grow for a year. And we'd throw the tray out and go look back at the pile and everything germinated and start taking off. So it's just uh, one of those things, again, that you got to just kind of keep notes on and always be looking out there and uh, experimenting. But um there's, there's a lot of great information out there now. You can just Google stuff and I'm surprised, you know, I'm amazed at what comes up nowadays. So that's one of the things I think, I wish we had all this when we started, you know. And then you got things like uh, Gallardia, which Cami can chime in on. <laughs> We've been growing this as a native plant. And now a week or so ago, they came out and said, well, we don't think it's a native plant now. And we've been promoting this thing for years, so. 
Yeah, this is just part of the industry, part of what happens and goes on. But it's interesting because a lot of the growers who were against us years ago are now growing a lot of these native plants. Uh, and that's pretty rewarding, too, to see them come in and start growing them and, and understand that, you know, yeah, you can put a lot of this stuff out there and not have to do anything to it. And just let it go and thrive. So. You know, Brightman, I'm going to step in there with a story that you will appreciate. The very first native plant and service directory that I did for FAN, I used a picture of pink muley grass that you gave me and put it on the cover. And then we shipped out all the directories. And I got a call from someone who had received the directory, was not a fan member, but was another grower demanding. And he was pretty insistent that I needed to properly identify what was this plant on the cover and was it a native? And, you know, I gave him the information. <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, well, I've been in business for 30 years and I've never seen that plant. And I said, well, we would love to have you grow it. <laughs> I was trying to be nice. And now I think about that, that was 1996. And now almost any highway or street you drive down, you're gonna see muley grass planting. Mm -hmm. And then yet yeah. it was so unusual at the time. So I use that as an example. It, it seems like a long time, maybe to Mitzi, but Brightman and I can tell you that that was a blink of an eye, <laughs> that 20 years <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and all that's yeah. happened in that time. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was, you know, and I used to chastise the growers. I don't, but just saying, hey, you got this stuff in your backyard, people. It's right out there. It's growing. Why not take it and utilize it? Um, and, and you know, basically I had to shame them into it. But I, 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 had, I had a lecture in Tampa one time. We had like 400 people there and all the growers, uh, Tampa growers came. And I just started saying that, you know, this is going to change the palette that you use in your landscape growing these plants. They all stood up in unison and walked out in the middle of my lecture. There's like 50 of them. And the whole way out, I was just giving them grief. I just kept peppering them with stuff. <laughs> we all ended up being great friends, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it just makes so much sense. And that was another thing I always thought. If you notice, a lot of those plants last about five or six years and then they die and they have to be bought again and replaced. I think that was one of the main things they kept those things because they could keep reselling them. I've got plants here in my yard that have been here 25 years. It looked great. There's uh, two reports out nationally this year, Brightman, just addressing availability of native plants for restoration. And, mm -hmm. and one is from the National Academies of Sciences, and the other is, I think, from a, another government agency. Chronic nationwide shortage. Chronic nationwide shortage. And am I right to believe that if there's a chronic nationwide shortage of native plants for restoration, then wouldn't there be even a greater shortage for landscape use? Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. Uh, and it's always been that way, really. I mean, mm -hmm. as we increased demand, we, we just never could keep up with it, it seems like. And a lot of people would get frustrated with that. Mm -hmm. You know, but I can't get these plants. Uh, and that's why we started getting people to contract grow for projects. You know, if, you, if you're going to want these plants in a year, you're going to need to put some money down and start growing them. I, I've got a school going in across the street from me here, a Boca Tech school. And we talked them into doing all native plants, plenty of great aesthetically pleasing natives, you know. 
Um, the, I guess the one thing too is they everyone wants evergreen, where they don't enjoy the beauty of something being deciduous and maybe not having leaves for it. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of obstacles to overcome dealing with, with the general public. Yeah, that uh, I think that issue of um, deciduous or seasonal plants, two big things that are needed, of course, the continued education, and you've got to make it much more accessible and consumable. And then we need those ecological landscape maintenance specialists. And they mm -hmm. need to know how to package and sell that business. I, it'll come. I believe it will come. Yeah, uh, letting people know that third generation nurseries are getting into growing natives, and all these people are, you know, we got to kind of get the wave built up to where these kids get interested in it. And uh, really, I, I mean, I think we're doing a lot to save our environment in the state by doing this stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, a day when we, you know, we completely cut off our sprinklers and wasting potable water on our yards. Uh, right. And it can be done very easily. Uh, but it's just, again, takes time and, and generational time to, to get those things done. Brightman, I thank you very much for your time today. Yes, thank you, Brightman. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another podcast of Go Native. I'm glad that we were able to explore some of the native plant industry history today. And we hope that we inspire you to take on whatever you can to continue to advance the work in the native plant industry. And continue listening to us. Subscribe right now to Go Native, the business of native plants. New episodes every month. And be sure to visit our website, nativeplanthort.org, to learn more and support us. We'll see you next time.